0: Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer.
1: And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and you are joining us on a very, very special show. And. This is one of my favorite topics, which is all about leadership, and the name of the book that we're going to be talking about today is Fearless Leadership, and the subtitle of the book is High Performance Lessons from the Flight Deck, and I mean, this is literally from the flight deck. Our guest today is Carrie Lorenz, and Carrie, uh, I'm going to let her tell you her story, but she's actually not not just a pilot, but she's an F-14 Spider-Pilot. Carrie, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. (laughs) Well, I am am so jealous. I'm looking at the cover of your book, and you are wearing just the most spectacular dress. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh for those who who have not seen uh this book uh she has on this this black leather dress and uh it is just it, it's perfect for a a female F14 fighter pilot so Carrie why don't you tell us a little bit about your background kind of what what was life before you became a pilot why did you become a pilot you know as a little girl did you always dream of this Oh gosh, yes. So uh, life before I became a fighter
0: pilot—that's that's an interesting way to look at things. So uh, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm a Midwestern girl, and I had a my dad was a former military pilot, and then flew for a large airline for several decades, and my mom was actually a flight attendant. Uh, So I grew up surrounded by aviation. I have an older brother who is uh, still an active-duty aviator, and both of us, just starting off uh, as youngsters, were always interested in flying and dreamed of really soaring those amazing skies. So it was something that I've always dreamed about ever since I was a little girl, and it was trying to figure out what would be the pathway to make that happen. So I ended up uh I ended up graduating from the University of Wisconsin and there are only three ways that you can become a naval aviator. You either go to the Navy Academy, you go through an ROTC program, or you choose the third option which is going through aviation officer Candidate school and that's what I did and it was uh, a 16-week program where you do a lot of academics a lot of physical training uh, Swim qualification work and then at the end of the 16-week program uh, Assuming all goes well is when you earn your naval officer commission and hopefully head off to flight school. And that is where the next chapter began
1: Wow Wow so where did you do your training?
0: So I did my primary flight school training was down in Corpus Christi, Texas. And then for my advanced training, uh, I went down to Kingsville, Texas. So that's where uh, I went through intermediate uh, jet jet training and then advanced training as well. And eventually earned uh, my naval aviator wings of gold uh, that then... Uh, I was off to Miramar, California, home of Top Gun. Oh.
1: <laughs> exactly. And and you were the first female F-14 Tomcat fighter pilot. Were there other women in, in the training program?
0: Um, there were only a small handful of women that were going through flight school when I was going through, uh, and they eventually ended up uh, going and flying helicopters or other airplanes. When mm-hmm. I was in the last Phase of my flight training in advanced jet training, my timing was such that literally the day that my class was filling out their dream sheet, which is when you say this is the airplane that I want to fly, uh, and then they rank you, you know, number one guy or gal gets his or her first choice, uh, and then so on and so on. They they still had not been allowing women to fly combat aircraft, so but the day that my class was filling out their dream sheet was actually the day that the secretary of defense lifted the law that prohibited women from flying in combat. Mm. So I was able to put my first choice and uh, because I had performed well in flight school was awarded my first choice. And so uh, I was literally that day, one of the first women to be assigned to fly the F-14 Tomcat. So Mm -hmm. it was very exciting. There ended up being uh, another gal, who had been flying a different airplane, who was senior to me, that ended up in that pipeline as well. Um, But I was was the first one to be assigned to fly out there. So it was was a pretty exciting time, no doubt.
1: Well, and and in that environment, which is no doubt uh, a fast-moving dynamic, uh, inconsistent execution can absolutely generate catastrophic and you know i mean clearly life threatening results if you don't do things right so how did you transition from that to writing a book about this i mean is there a chapter in the middle that that we missed <laughs> um the chapter in the middle that you missed is probably called that Full bucket
0: of life experiences <laughs> uh, so clearly uh well i I'll, I'll kind of address that middle chapter and then I'll back up um, after I was in the navy i spent uh, i'm I'm also a mother of four kids, and uh in that time, you get a little bit of time and earlier on and in, in trying to figure out how do you put all these pieces together, and I'm, I'm fairly introspective and always continuously learning and listening to podcasts, reading books, and trying to learn from the experiences of others, how, how did they get where they are today? What kind of adversity did they suffer through to make it through that and find this place of success? And clearly the cockpit of the F-14 is it is one of the most demanding environments on Earth. And insofar as that's concerned, it's it's that place where uh, I learned some pretty remarkable lessons, not just not just in flying. uh, Clearly, the flying is a challenge, but also in life and in leadership. So. That journey of how you decide to pursue a you know a seemingly impossible dream and certainly one that involved a lot of challenges and barriers and obstacles and trials uh, that gives you a lot of insight. So, after leaving the military and really with my experience from having the great fortune to work with uh, Fortune 10, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies now, helping them to build their leadership skill sets, and build high-performing teams, bringing those two worlds together, uh, I really was able to uncover and discover that, you know, if you want to achieve these peak levels of performance, this is going to require each of us on a very individual level to be able to lead more fearlessly. And I thought, you know what, why not? Why not try to distill some of those principles together and figure out a way that you can share that with other people and share these experiences so that they can figure out how to leverage that. Because the parallels between the world of naval aviation, really, and the world of business are quite strong. And I've been able to see both in the military and in business over and over again that when people are crippled by their fears and crippled by perceived limitations you're never going to get the best performance out of your team. Um, And oftentimes, and particularly with women, we, we we don't seize the opportunities because we may not necessarily think of ourselves as leaders or we might not think we're qualified enough or have enough competency to raise our hands. So really, no matter the situation, the number one way to really ensure that you're the best leader that you can be is to build your ability to work through fear and figure out what needs to be done in spite of that fear. So that's, what is what really compelled me to figure out a way to try to capture those lessons learned and distill them in a way that people find them both accessible, uh, maybe a little entertaining, but but as importantly Actionable that they right. can take these lessons learned and flip it and and use it with their own lives.
1: So you lay out in the first part of the book uh, really those fundamentals of fearless leadership and um and I I have to ask were you teaching these as a methodology in your work with corporate America. Uh, before you, you wrote the book, I mean that that's I'm I'm trying to get the the progression here. So was mm. this a methodology that you had found already resonated with people and and that they understood it and that the book just gave you a way to broaden your reach, uh, you know, for getting that message out there? Or did you write the book and then find that you could then go out and talk about it and then people were wanting to hire you to Bring these principles into their organizations. That's a great question. So uh, I was always, already
0: sharing some of these ideas uh, through content and through, but through storytelling and also within leadership development programs and, and keynotes. And what I continued to hear from people was, "You need to write a book. You need to write a book. We need more of this." So right. it eventually and. Uh, A a great friend of mine, uh, finally, several years ago, kind of grabbed me by the collar and he just said, listen, every time you get on stage or every time you're working with a client and you don't have a book and a way for them to access more of this, you're cheating them. And it was a bit of a wake-up call because... Again, I, I suffer from what, what I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, the, the idea of, oh, what if it's not good enough? You know, I'm not <laughs> an author, right? I'm not an author by nature, or I don't, I don't perceive myself to be. Right. Uh, I'm not Malcolm Gladwell. I don't. What gives me the right to write a book? And so it's you know I kind of had to eat my own dog food if you will.
1: <laughs> right. Where you
0: start you know you tell people hey you need to do those things that are uncomfortable you need to push yourself and I'm like oh well, okay but do I really have to write a book about it? But uh <laughs> no so I finally just that was that was a big wake up call for me and and the realization that uh you know what he's right and and so now I need to take action on that and duct tape my you know my myself to a chair and sit down, start putting pen to paper, and start giving it uh, giving this message it's it's due and figure out a way to fully pull everything together uh so I did
1: well I will tell you uh because I have interviewed over three hundred uh authors and i I certainly look at a lot of books and the thing that uh first Struck me about your book. First of all, as I said, the topic of leadership is really foundational uh, to my organization. I've had a consulting firm mm-hmm. for 20 years, and and I know that even great strategy when faced with poor leadership, it can't get executed ever. Right, right. Ever. And that there is absolutely an element of fearlessness that is required to get to bust out of the status quo, which is what I think is wrong with corporate America, personally. I think that, that there is fear of leaving that comfort zone, and whether it's a product comfort zone or a business model comfort zone, I mean, there's so many different aspects. But what I was gonna say about your book is that you have distilled down to an incredible level of simplicity um some very very complex things. And and I think that's what makes a great author is starting with a great outline. And uh you know wh- whether the table of contents or the outline for the book you know kind of mm-hmm. is an afterthought or, or whether you started with this uh you know you can perhaps sh- shed some light on that. But the first part of the book are these three fundamentals of fearless leadership, which is courage, tenacity, and integrity. And, you know, I'd like to go through each one of these um, because I think that the model is so important. And one of the other things that jumped out, and I I don't recall whether it was from the flap of the book or, or, you know, your promo on Amazon, but you were talking about how, you know, not everybody can be that top gun And, you know, you really do need to make sure in a leadership organization that you got those really strong wingmen as well. And I I love bringing in that, you know, flight deck language uh, because most of us have seen Top Gun, and we can Mm -hmm. relate not only to the different personalities but the challenges that each one faces in the roles that they play. So let's start with courage. Okay. Well,
0: it's uh – you know, it's it's interesting and it's a fascinating. I'm going to circle back a little bit because you were, and and oh, if it's absolutely. okay, then then we'll go to the courage part uh, because you were asking about uh, kind of how did I write it or how did I structure it, mm-hmm. and the simplicity level of it. Uh, I I had the benefit of working with several organizations uh, in nine month and year long leadership development programs that through that. They generally always would ask for uh, recommended, five, you know, five books, either five leadership books, five strategy books, something that would bring um, some skill set and extra insight and knowledge to either a group of individual contributors or managers or these executive leaders or people who are in the C-suite, C-suite excuse me, but are looking to broaden their knowledge base. And what I found in that experience was the majority of people would not make it fully through a book if it was too complex and it felt like their brain was on a cheese grater. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they just don't, they don't, they don't have time for it right now. The majority right. of people, if they are going to make it through a book front back, you know, front cover to back cover, it better be uh, in in bite-sized consumable chunks that are both entertaining and actionable. So when, when I was writing this, and I, I actually wrote it myself, I didn't, I didn't have a ghostwriter. I just thought, you know, there are going to be a certain percentage of people who, who have either interacted with me or have seen me speak. And so I want this book to be fairly conversational in nature, where they feel like they're having a conversation with me, and they're not sitting in a PhD-level Uh, lecture series where you're having to have a thesaurus sitting next to you to figure out, you know, what does ubiquitous mean again? I can't even remember what that means. Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) so there aren't a lot of nine syllable words uh, in the book, more for my benefit probably than anybody else's. Um, But again, I wanted it to be where if you started reading it and all of a sudden you had to run to a meeting or you only have 30 minutes um, that you can digest it in these pieces and parts and be able to internalize it to figure out, okay, how do I do this in my world? I can give you examples with that, right? Uh, as, as you've read it, there are, are lots of different examples, not just from the military. So you certainly don't need to be a fan of the military to, to find this interesting, but from very diverse organizations. Because I wanted people to be able to find a piece of themselves in the right. book and not just have this be a tome of... Uh I love me, right, all about me and how awesome <laughs> mediators are, and we never do anything wrong and just be more like us, and you should be okay <laughs> because because there are already plenty of those books on the shelves uh this is not one of them uh, but this is certainly uh an insight to help you understand what are some of those tools and approaches that you know will help you be challenged and really uh, inform you and inspire you to hopefully kick your performance up to the next level. So, but circling back to the courage part, it's this is a part that people oftentimes, I think, give short shrift to. That they assume that those who have reached it, reached the perceived peak of the mountain or the top of the hill, or a path further along in life or professionally or personally that they are not at that is not achievable to them. Um, and what I think is important for, for everybody to understand is that having courage is really that first elemental level in fearless leadership because those feelings of self-doubt and fear and not enough show up for everybody, and that if you can cultivate the courage in yourself, then that's when you start finding those limitless possibilities for yourself. Uh, So, you know, having the courage to take that first step uh, is a big deal, but if you don't do it, you're bound to miss, miss out on those opportunities that are available to you. So it doesn't mean that you don't ever feel fear. It doesn't mean that you're not scared, but it is rather courage is having that ability to master your fear and go for it anyway. Um, and, And not to be, this isn't about taking, you know, really big risks. And making bad decisions and saying, oh, well, Carrie said I should be just be fearless and I can go do this stupid <laughs> thing and put it under the veil of fearlessness, right? Um, but it's about having that courage to step up and, and go after it when you are scared to death and you have that huge lump in your throat uh, and the pit in your stomach and people are saying, you know, how dare you? What gives you the right to go after this? And, and I think well, it's important.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting. I, I just uh kind of got a mental picture. You you talk in this first chapter about the relationship uh or or you mention the words kind of in the same paragraph of bravery and courage. And I think that what I'm hearing you say and, and the picture I'm seeing in my mind is that you know, courage is the stepping out despite the fear and bravery actually emerges. Like, that that's Absolutely. what emerges after you've taken that step. And I've never really seen it that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur, and, and I grew up not knowing that that was my gift. Okay, and and I would have characterized myself when I was younger as being very risk-averse. And what I have found wow. now that I have stepped off of the precipice. Right mm-hmm. As, uh and I I do technology startups. That's that's my, my gig. And so I'm in the midst of my second one after a spectacular failure, by the way, in my first one. So um, you know, I was courageous and I failed, right? And and, you know, fortunately it wasn't fatal, right? Failure isn't fatal when you're not in the cockpit, right? Right. But now I'm brave. Now I'm brave, and and it and I again I didn't see it until this very moment of using this language that isn't my normal vernacular, right? And they're they're going wow. like to word again, but but I just had that that personal revelation. So thank you. Um, oh. That, and,
0: yeah. Oh, that's that's fantastic, and and. And that's such great, interesting insight. And I love what you said about <laughs> that you had a spectacular failure, right? That, and I think it's so, um, I think it's very key on how you phrase that because it is, they're, they're, you will not find a person who has reached a level of high performance, whether it's in business or in sports or has gone through great adversity, that will not say they've made it through unbelievable failure. I love spectacular right. failure. I think that's awesome because to me it sounds positive. Like it sounds like, ooh, it must have been really bad, right? But really bad. <laughs> oh, comments, on so many levels. <laughs> right. But, but there, in my mind there's a comma there where, oh, it was really bad and you want to grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and go, tell me more. Right, because right. it's in that it's in that tell me more part. I think too often people think that, oh, everybody else is just braver than I am, or you got lucky. But the only right. way you build confidence, you build more courage or that ability to be just a little bit bolder, just a little bit braver, is by doing something tough, by you know, being able to work through that uncertainty and doubt. And not only possibility of failure, but when you have spectacular failures, right? And it's never a fun experience in the moment. Nobody wants to fail, right? <laughs> we do everything in our power on a daily basis, whether it's through physical activity or trying to stay on a diet or falling off a diet or getting back on it or whatever, right? None of us wants to be uncomfortable. That, right. That's why it's called being uncomfortable, Um but rather than running from these tough assignments, rather than going, oh, that's way too hard, part of being courageous and being fearless is, is integrating these kinds of tough things, tough assignments, tough situations into our, our life plan, right? right. If, because if it's easy, your, your enjoyment out of something is going to be nil, there's no reward there it's and that's what i think people hard work is called hard work because it's hard right at the end of the day <laughs> exactly. and, and 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 quite often people are like oh it's too hard i don't i don't want to do that it takes too much work we're too we're too busy spending energy looking for the easy button instead of just digging in and doing the work and when you do that that is actually when you uncover these opportunities it's when you are brave enough or have just enough courage or confidence to step into the arena. It's it's the ability to take that first step, right?
1: And no one's But again if you if you think you have to be brave before taking that first step, I think that's why the steps don't get taken. That and that fear of failure and since you've done so much work in corporate America, and I know we're going to talk about culture in a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think it's, does the culture allow failure as a path to success, right? Because it isn't the opposite. It really isn't the opposite of success. Right? No, it's not. It's
0: not. And it's it's interesting, and it is it is this kind of circular paradigm, if you will, because people want certainty. And when we're working in this really volatile environment across all markets, whether you're working right. in, in financial areas, in innovation, technology, whatever the case may be there in oil and gas right now, there is no marketplace, if you will, that is not being affected right now by the rapid pace of change. There's, mm-hmm. there's just not. So What that is, and as much as as different organizations or industries talk about, oh, we love to be innovative, we love change. Yeah, you know, there are very few people who like to go first. Everybody says change is a good thing until you're actually the one who has to change, right? right? Um, And the key in all of this, though, in building skill sets, both professionally and personally, I think one of the keys is to really understand that you are the one, you individually have to be the one to summon up the courage to take the first step. Nobody is going to give you an invitation to make a difference. And the truth is we're all scared some of the time. But the people who do succeed in leadership are the ones who believe that they're just as worthy of a leadership role as the next guy. And they've taken that first step. So it's having that ability to start where you are right now with what you have and take the first step. And oftentimes I think when when there are discussions around courage and being courageous, people internalize that as in, oh, my gosh, I don't have the energy to do that right now. You don't understand. My life is in chaos. My kids are doing this. My job is doing that. There's turnover. There's mergers. There's acquisitions. I don't have the energy to be courageous right now. But it doesn't take you being courageous 24 hours a day. It just is little little spurts of courage, right? It's raising your hand in a split second to offer an opinion or volunteer for a role. It's not that you have to wake up swaddled every morning and today I'm going to be completely courageous for the next
1: 18 hours and 45 minutes. Right' know that right into the next one, uh you know, which is tenacity, and mm-hmm. you know again, as an entrepreneur uh, this is is the number one uh ingredient that that you need in that leadership quotient because without the ability to stick to it and but not just tenacity in sticking to a single thing but being able to pivot. And again, I, you know, I've I've never been a pilot, but I certainly have flown a lot. I worked for American Airlines for 10 years, but on the technology side of the business. And and the ability to pivot when, you know, sticking to something but if something's not working, you, you can't stick to that.
0: Oh, for sure. And it's it's I'm so glad you bring that up because oftentimes people think uh, or they've heard a message of don't quit, never, ever, ever quit. Well, I'm going to caveat that with you need to quit the bad stuff, right? <laughs> quit the thing because don't – and that's not being a quitter. That's just being smart. And But also when you realize that when you have these goals, when you have these whatever you want to call them, big, hairy, audacious goals, big dreams – Whatever it is, particularly if you're doing something that is innovative or against the grain, um, what happens more often than not is that people quit because they think it's too hard or maybe that they've given all they have and uh, a little insight and and I pulled part of this from the seal community from a physical perspective, one of the ideologies that the seals always share is this this idea of When you think you've done everything you can, chances are you're actually only at 40%. And I love that. I love that. Because we give up, we tend to give up too soon, or we think because we're going after this dream, or we're entrepreneurs, or we're trying to climb this ladder, that most of the time should be really fun, and it should be rewarding. Because you hear people talking about just live your passion and you'll never work a day in your life, which uh, I'm like Kermit the Frog where my pinky, I don't know if you've seen the little Kermit meme where he's drinking like a a cup of Lipton tea and his pinky comes up and says something kind of smart alecky. I don't I I would like to meet the person who can can look me in the eye and say every single day they've been living the dream and it's never been hard work that they thought was either inconvenient or a grind because I want that job. Right. <laughs> right. And if if you if you are looking to be a stronger leader if you're looking at having the ability to make a difference that is going to be winning over the demons in your head I think and and being willing to be committed to doing the work that's required to not only grow yourself uh, as as both a leader and as a person, but to also make your team look good, right? So you're going to have to put in a lot of time doing difficult and what is sometimes, frankly, boring work. But there's there's no shortcut to high performance. There are no shortcuts to excellence. You have to remain tenacious
1: in this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the next one is, is interesting because, you know, when we look at leaders, we assume that you operate with integrity, right? And and mm-hmm. integrity has all kinds of dimensions. And I've told the story before on the show. Um, my best friend, um, one Sunday morning at church, was asked to get up and talk about integrity. And she listed 10 things that were um uh, you know part of uh you know her definition of integrity, and one of those was being on time, and mm-hmm. she talked about you know how how she felt when you know someone didn't honor their commitment to be someplace on time, and of course, mm-hmm. I was quickly trying to figure out how many times I had been late in meeting mm-hmm. with her. um <laughs> and and I thought, oh my God, I never about that being tied to integrity and I come my maiden name was Wright and uh, they always joked that we were the late great rights because we were always late everywhere and you know I mean I came from a family of very very high integrity I mean my both of my grandparents were missionaries and my dad and mom were missionaries and my dad was a pastor while he was living and um you know just everything was about uh integrity right except for that So talk to us about the elements of integrity that are part of fearless leadership. So I think you're spot on
0: in that the majority of people would say that they operate with integrity, and yet every bit of research shows that that's actually not the case. Um, and unfortunately, most of us say, well, I know that's not me. It's somebody else, right? Um, but, but integrity has a lot of different layers to it. It means it's not just doing, well, it, clearly it's doing what is right and understanding what's wrong. But the, the next step in that is fully being able to have the courage to stand firm in your principles And to be very truthful or speak the truth, even at times of crisis and at great personal risk. And that's the part where I think more often than not, we come up short and we see it all of the time in, well, we see it in politics. Uh, Heaven forbid somebody actually say they're sorry about something, something bad that happened. Um, But we see it in the medical industry, uh, which is why there's so much litigation, because when mistakes are made, rarely is there ever an apology that's made or offered. And yet that would be the number one thing that most people just want. They're not looking for money. They just want acknowledgement of what has happened to them. And so, you know, this should it should even though it's, it's a it's a solid chapter that I address within the book, it should be the shortest chapter. It should just be do what's right.
1: This (laughs) this should not be hard,
0: right? Um, And the fact that, again, like I I shared earlier, cutting cutting corners never leads to excellence. Uh, Mm -hmm. And whether that's how you are dealing with your people, your employees, your staff, uh, constantly cutting, cutting, cutting. um, Integrity does appear to be on the decline. But there are also people who are doing a great job, and there are lots of folks out there doing good work so it's it's a tough one it is it is having that ability to really honor your convictions and your principles when and putting the needs of your team ahead of your own personal best interest and I think uh, from a corporate perspective why there's such distrust and whether you want to loop some of the stuff that's happening on wall street into this, or when we see corporation after corporation that has downscaled aggressively at the same time, you see the top executives leaving with corporate or with golden parachutes, right? That's really hard. And it's, and people don't forget that. Um, So it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge across the board right now. Uh, and where it's going to take more than one uh, one person to look in the mirror and realize that if not everybody else, that's part of the problem. It's a huge leadership problem right now. Right, right. But but well, I know it's not the first time that's probably been addressed either. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, and it's so true. But you know, making your actions and your words line up is is I think the most fundamental definition uh of integrity mm-hmm. and you know I was just thinking and I you know I I don't like to talk about politics on the show but I I just was thinking about why there is so much mistrust uh you know on both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. this year in mm-hmm. the presidential election and you know if indeed it's Hillary against Donald Trump you know I think it may be the first time that we've had uh you know multimillionaires uh you know, competing for the highest office in the land, and that it's hard for people to trust that, um, you know, people who have been driven by money can care about, you know, the basics of us. And I think it it will be interesting, you know, to watch, and especially since we know that the whole campaign on both sides, again, no matter which side you're on, will all be about tearing the other Side down and, and showing their lack of integrity and how can any of us walk in to the voting booth, you know, in November and, and actually vote when, when there's been so much of that. So let's shift gears for a second and, and talk about leadership in action um, because that's the whole second part of the book about those things that once you've got those fundamentals of fearless leadership, courage, Tenacity and integrity. Then you need to actually do something about it. So, talk to us about the first one, which is vision. Right. Well, and the doing part
0: is the hardest part, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, assuming that you you have have addressed and you've acknowledged and you understand uh, what it's going to take, and having the courage and taking that next step. Then then the testing really begins, right? You've been brave enough and you're like, okay, I'm going to jump. You said go ahead and jump, operate with integrity, and now it's going to all work, right? Well, to get everybody, unless you are a complete solopreneur who doesn't uh-huh. count on anybody to buy your product or, or that you interact with anybody, which wouldn't even be a solopreneur. I'm not sure what that would be. <laughs> um, probably I don't even know maybe a recluse, um, but but you're going to rely on other people to help you get your product out there, your message, your life, your team across the finish line, and the first part of that is is really going to be figuring out how do you how do you set a vision and how do you um, establish this vision something that inspires people inspires your teammates and gets everybody aligned um so that you can get where you want to go uh but you know if you don't you can't just move forward fearlessly and boldly without knowing where you want to go and having your teammates know where you want to go so you you have to have that courage to set the vision and clearly the tenacity to to stick with it and go after it and then that integrity to pursue it so in my previous life in my previous world um you know, we were able to articulate very clearly from an aircraft carrier perspective what success looked like. And that was for us really this vision of operating safely and effectively and and being able to safely launch and recover airplanes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And having that vision from a leadership perspective is really that catalyst that that gets people all aligned around that vision um, and moving towards that vision so that you can tune out all of that chaos and noise and distraction that all of us are overwhelmed with on a daily basis so it's it's a great um, it, it's a great and a necessary foundational element of high performance because otherwise. We are all pulled in a hundred different directions every right. single day, and best case scenario we're average at best because we get bogged down and we can't figure out what it is that we're supposed to be focusing on because all of us are operating in really complex environments where we're we're task overloaded, we have too much information, we have too many directions that we are being pulled in, right. And you don't have clarity anymore on what it is you need to accomplish or maybe what your team is trying to accomplish. So then everything gets your power as as an organization, your power on an individual level. All of it gets muddled and muted and, right. and diluted, really, at the end of the day.
1: Well, and, and so I'm seeing another interesting word picture here, just like courage and bravery, that the... Leadership and action is really the ability of that fearless leader to take the vision and to bring it into focus, right? For each of the people on the team to be able to figure out. Uh, and, and I think, you know, again, I, I imagine being in the cockpit, and it's the difference between looking out. Um, you know, through the windows of the plane and seeing the entire uh, horizon, versus looking in your uh, your instrumentation, and you know, like seeing the things that actually help you fly precisely.
0: Absolutely, uh, because you you need to have clarity on where it is you are going to go, and mm-hmm. having a very clear and a very specific vision. Uh, is it gives everybody focus, and they can focus on what matters most, because that is that is a challenge of every single leader today. Whether you are overseeing sales teams, part of R and D, uh, the operational side, the administrative side, personnel management, it is there's so much to do that every single person in your chain needs to know what is the most important thing that they should be focusing on um, and having that focal point so that people can concentrate and focus on what matters most. Again, this is about cutting through all that noise and all of the distractions for your team and think about those things that don't contribute to your success and then get them out of the way. Right. and it is it is actually the biggest having a clear vision and focus is what will allow your team to move the performance needle faster
1: right so talk to us about how culture plays into all of this, and you know how how can again once you've gotten your courage tenacity and integrity in line and and those fundamentals are there and and you've decided where you're going and you're helping your people focus um how do you even know what the right cultural environment is and and you clearly in your military role must have had all different kinds of leaders and and uh, every spectrum of of culture from you know somewhat nurturing or maybe not at all nurturing all the way up to that that old command and control style culture oh for sure um i had the great opportunity
0: if you will with air quotes around that to certainly experience uh <laughs> pieces of very great phenomenal uh culture with very strong leadership uh leadership within that uh that chain and then certainly uh chunks of culture that had lots of room for improvement, um, and, and it is critical. The culture is critical because it drives every single behavior within your organization, uh, notwithstanding whatever your strategy may be, the personnel that you have on your team. You could have the, great, the greatest team assembled ever and the best strategy ever, but if you have a broken culture, it will go nowhere. So <laughs> <brain brain> the <fast. laughs> the. <laughs> Nowhere fast, and everybody, all of your high performers will be looking around at each other, going, "How quickly can I get off this boat?" Right? Right. Uh, so it's it's a it's a big piece, and and oftentimes the most overlooked piece because it's one of those perceived to be soft, squishy things that you don't really know how to influence but the the faster that you can unify people together uh working towards a common shared vision a team that trusts absolutely and implicitly that communicates effectively all of this is what will really help you build a culture of performance and really what that means at the end of the day is it's going to be a team that is engaged they're learning They're innovative, which means you're tolerating a certain number of mistakes, right? Um, That actually embraces adversity instead of trying to sweep uh, the negatives under the rug and really one that is committed to success. Because without all of those things, at best, you're going to have organized chaos. And and your high performers will leave. They won't stick around.
1: Totally, totally. So the the next chapter, I I love this. You start with a quote from Colin Powell uh, that says, great leaders are almost always great simplifiers who can cut Mm -hmm. through argument, debate, and doubt to offer a solution that everyone can understand. And then you you start telling a story about um, one day in flight school and and, uh, your experience with uh, an instructor in the briefing room who who talked about this concept of prepare, perform, prevail. So this foolproof foolproof process for high performance. So share a little bit about that with us.
0: So this this process is really how we were able to take enormous amounts of information. Uh, and very rapid change on an hourly, on a daily basis, and even when your missions are changed with a very, very short notice, to take all of these, these bits and bytes of information and put it together very, very quickly in a cogent and very actionable form. So, so what does that mean? It's essentially being able to, to work through a framework that is not overly complex that does not have a lot of steps, that allows you to aggregate this information so that you can take a step back and breathe and know that uh, you know what the threats are, you know what your resources are, and now all you need to do is execute. So everybody involved knows their piece of the puzzle and what is expected of them, the outcome that is expected of them, not micromanaging, telling them exactly how they're going to do this. But this is a process that really works in any type of organization with any task. So whether you're a bank manager, you're, a, you know, a coach of a national, you know, football league team or NBA or whatever the case may be, it's straightforward. It is, it is essentially, you know, how are we going to take this? What are we going to do? What's the objective? What are we trying to accomplish? What could get in our way? Let's go do this. And so it's a way of filtering out all the information or filtering out all the noise, right? So you get all the information that you need to be able to execute effectively so that everybody knows your strategy, they know what the plan is, they know what success looks like, and they know that as soon as they're done, they're going to be debriefing and being held accountable for whether their part got done as advertised or, if not, why not, and how can we learn from it? So it's really this methodology that hinges, from a leadership perspective, on your ability to communicate effectively and, and make sure that your teammates are all clear on the vision and what is expected of them, and that then the accountability metric of it that we're going to come back, we're going to circle back and figure out what worked. We call it debriefing, right? So it's figuring out right. what worked, what didn't, and how can we improve I like that. on that it that better next than post
1: mortem. Oh, I know that, <laughs> that's, that's the that's word just... we use in corporate life, and it's like who died. I know, and it's <laughs> well the never, project side. Yes, <laughs> yes, it has
0: such a negative connotation, and I love the I love debriefing because what's really important so we take the time we take the time to plan with our team right so getting back to the structure the prepare perform prevail we want to take the time to plan with our team and a finite amount of planning time not you know an open ended planning because then everybody suffers from analysis paralysis and we're looking for the perfect plan which if we spend all this time to get a perfect plan by the time we execute it The environment has changed and our plan is no longer perfect. So we're looking for a good enough plan to go out and start executing on that then as we're executing, we're we're taking notes, we're figuring out what's working, what's not. And when we're done, we're debriefing. So again, we want to figure out what worked, what didn't, so that we can replicate those things that worked well for the next time and figure out how to fix very quickly those things that didn't the next time. And it's this very straightforward process that really allowed the navy to take uh, you know very raw raw materials if you will, i.e. college graduates and in a very short period of time in in 2 years time be flying 50 million dollar aircraft successfully. <laughs> so it's wow. it's it's, it, it's remarkable. It's a remarkable methodology. I think we overcomplicate not only the planning pieces, but the execution part, and from a leadership perspective, rarely do we hold people accountable. And and accountability shouldn't be a four-letter word. It should be an expectation of this is how we're going to get better, this is how we learn in our organization, and this is why we do awesome things.
1: Wonderful. Right? So uh, just bringing all of this to a close, the last word in, in this simple, uh, you know, seven-step plan here of, of not only the fundamentals of fearless, fearless leadership, but, but taking it and turning it into action is actually a word that's very, very close to one that we already talked about, tenacity. And this word is resilience. Tell me mm-hmm. how resilience is different than tenacity. Well,
0: resilience is, it's a key critical skill, actually. Resilience is really having that ability to rebound and come back when something bad happens. So it is, you know, you've you've been tenacious. You were really committed to whatever the challenges of life or leadership through in front of you. But then all of a sudden you have, as you've said, a spectacular failure or what I call a cinder block to the teeth, Um, and whether that's personal, it's a a life-changing circumstance. It's something major. Maybe it's a death in the family. It's a divorce. It's, It's the loss of a job or a loved one that you didn't see coming and you probably didn't even cause through any action of your own. But it's resiliency is what you need really when everything just goes to heck in a handbasket, right? And I always call these life experiences crucibles and everybody faces them. There is not one of us that is going to get through life unscathed and adversity comes at us in, in a lot of different forms. And what, what we need to be able to have are the skills that will allow us to move through these experiences so that they don't become life-defining and something that we'll never be able to get through, but an experience that maybe 9 months, 12 months, 18 months later, that we're better for having had it. Not necessarily happy that we went through it,
1: <laughs> <All right>. but...
0: <laughs> But better for having had it. I, I always, you know, the, the way I always think about resiliency and adversity is that adversity introduces you to yourself and who you are at your, at your core. Um, but resiliency is having those skill sets so that you're not completely squashed and crushed by the crucible Right. But you're able to get back in the ring. You're able to wake up and make a cup of coffee the next day again and go, it's going to be okay. I will be okay.
1: So the conclusion of this book is the admonition to be fearless. And uh, last night, uh, my daughter graduated from high school. And so, you know, we had the... Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. And you know, I was just uh looking uh before the, the call at, at the picture of her walking across the stage mm-hmm. and you know, I, I thought about all of the different admonitions of the various people who spoke uh at the graduation ceremony and the the young girl who was the valedictorian of the class. Uh three years ago her mother was diagnosed uh with with cancer of the liver and you know her mother believed she would not get to see her daughter graduate and you know she of course uh... showed all of these things courage tenacity integrity mm-hmm. uh... A, a vision of what would life look like if i did get to see her graduate and i'm sure she never even thought her daughter would be the valedictorian and telling the story the amazing story of her uh... you know her beating the cancer and and just all of the things that happened and, um, you know, it, I, I'm just thinking about my own daughter's life as, as she moves into this next phase uh, of uh, she's still not exactly sure where she's going to college. She wants to go to the University of Warsaw in Poland. And I just found out this morning that they only accept 44 people globally into this program that she wants to get into. So, you know, she's going to have to really want it badly, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, And mm-hmm. and to pursue it fearlessly so what is is that one or you know that one thought about being fearless that you'd like to leave with our listeners and I will definitely share it with my 18 year old if she ever gets out of bed today oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's just her brain healing yeah right
0: and resting finally being able to take a breath exactly um, you know I think it's a couple of things. You always have a choice and you can choose to be bold and step up. And a big idea I think behind not only being fearless, but being content and satisfied and happy mm. is this idea that uh, never wait for an invitation to make a difference. Just don't wait. Uh, You know, your challenge will be to go out there and be intentional and be bold. Raise your hand before you're ready and just go out and go for it. This being fearless is really about, you know, it's the difference between creating that life that you love and you enjoy or settling.
1: Don't settle. Mm, I love it. Well, Carrie, this has been amazing. And uh for those of you that have been listening, uh the title of the book again is Fearless Leadership High Performance Lessons from the Flight Deck. And our author guest has been Carrie Lorenz. And Carrie, can you let folks know how to get in touch with you if they'd like for you to come and speak to their organization or if they need uh, help on an advisory level uh, within their companies to really build their teams into high performance teams.
0: Absolutely, uh, you can visit me right right on the uh, on the interwebs. Uh, my website is carlylorenz.com, which is just C-A-R-E-Y, L-O-H-R-E-N-Z. Uh, you can drop me a line right there or send me a message via Facebook, Twitter, uh and I'm on Instagram, so I'm pretty easy to find.
1: Fabulous. And I, I love the home page of your website which says welcome to my office and oh. <laughs> and it's got the uh the F fourteen and the aircraft air aircraft carrier uh you know, cruising below. So Well Carrie, oh, thank, you. thank you so much so much uh for being with us today and you know the whole topic of this show is uh really how to be a game changer and and i believe it begins with fearless leadership so uh i hope our listeners will uh, make it a point to order your book uh in addition to listening to the show and uh, really to go out and be fearless and and to change the game today in, in just one of these elements of your life. And uh, you'll find that the other ones will come uh, very easily once you take that first step of courage.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Chickie, for having me here today. It's been
1: a pleasure. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. And, again, thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Game Changer
0: Ideas, Inspiration, Innovation with Chickie
1: Fitzgerald.